Alexander, uh, doesn't he have a great voice? It's like a tough act to follow. I'll, I'll do the best I can. Uh, would you join me in a word of prayer? Oh, gracious God, we thank you for this time and space when we can give you our full attention, Lord. These uh, opportunities uh, are, are sometimes challenging in the hustle and bustle of this season, and so we, uh, we want to savor this. God, we, we pray that you would open us up now by the power of your spirit. Lord, help us to hear the words of love and comfort that you have for us today. But God, also open us up to the ways that you're pushing us, the ways that you're challenging us to grow and change so that we can be the people that you are calling us to be. We pray all of this in the name of your Son, who is the living word. Amen. Well, uh, in our house over the last several weeks, we have been listening to a ton, a ton, a ton of Christmas music, and I imagine that many of you have been doing the same. My kids are ages uh, six and four, and so they've grown to the point now where they, they know what Christmas is, they understand it, they're excited about it, but my wife and I have discovered there's still a lot of Christmas music that they don't know. And so we've taken this opportunity over the last several weeks to introduce them to all kinds of stuff, everything from the classics like Bing Crosby all the way to more modern stuff like the Ariana Grande Christmas album. I was a little slow to open up to, to Ariana, but, you know, I've, I've warmed up to her. My wife is partial to the Justin Bieber Christmas album. I'm not really there yet with Bieber personally, but to, to each their own. Uh, why am I telling you all of this? I'm telling you because as, as we've listened to all of this Christmas music, there's something that I've noticed. Maybe some of you have noticed this as well. That there's the kind of Christmas season that we sing about in our popular Christmas songs. And then there's the kind of Christmas season that we actually experience in our real lives. You, you know, the, the kind of Christmas season that we sing about, it tends to be all peaceful and, and serene, harmonious. Uh, like recently I was listening to the song Silver Bells. Some of you know Silver Bells. And, and here's how it begins. I'm not going to sing it for you. Uh, but the first verse goes like this. It's city sidewalks, busy sidewalks, dressed in holiday style. In the air, there's a feeling of Christmas. Ah. Uh, pe children laughing, people passing, meeting smile after smile, and on every street corner you'll hear silver bells, silver bells, right? Doesn't that sound good? That's what we want Christmas to be. Well, I got to tell you, um, I live very close to South Point Mall, and over the last few weeks, people have been flocking there to do their Christmas shopping, and I've not seen people smile after smile. You know, I've seen people cutting each other off in traffic, honking at each other, flipping each other some birds uh, on occasion. And that's not exactly Silver Bell's material, right? There's the kind of Christmas season we sing about, and then there's the kind of Christmas season that we actually experience. And my guess would be that most of us would say that the Christmas season that we actually experience is kind of messy, right? It's kind of messy for a lot of different reasons. For, for one reason, that this time of year is stressful. I don't know about you, but I feel like every December I'm just running behind schedule, the whole month, like there's, there's so much to do and not enough time. Here it is, Christmas Eve morning. How many of us still have presents? We got to wrap before tomorrow. Am I alone in that? Okay, how many of us have presents we still need to go out and buy this afternoon before tomorrow? Yes, exactly. Many of us still have cooking to do. We have cleaning to do. Some of you are traveling and you're not even packed yet. I'm not trying to add to your stress. I'm just pointing out that, 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 that there's not a lot of Christmas songs about that stuff, Right? Or I know that for some of us, the Christmas season, it can bring a lot of sadness. It 
can bring a sense of loneliness, right? Because this is a time of year when we can't help but think about who's not here to celebrate with us anymore. Those people that we've loved and, and lost, it's hard. Or, you know, I have a number of friends who have been through a divorce or a separation over this past year. And, and as I've checked in on them, they're, they're processing. This is the first Christmas that some of them are going to spend apart from their former partner. Or, or even in some cases, their first Christmas apart from their children. It's, it's just it's so hard. Now, I've got other friends who right now are, are going through deep conflict with their extended family. And so Christmas brings this painful reminder of who they can't get together with or who won't get together with them, it's, it's really, really hard. Not a lot of Christmas songs about all of that, right? Or uh, maybe for some of you, Christmas brings uh, kind of complicated feelings for you spiritually. That you've been through a season in your life where you've, you've drifted away from church or drifted away from faith. Or maybe the church has hurt you at some point in your past. Or you're the kind of person you, you just feel like you have so many questions and doubts and you, you, you brought yourself here to, to Christmas Eve church because this is what you do. It's a tradition, but you, you sit in a room full of people like this and, and you think to yourself, am I the only one who has trouble believing all this God stuff, all this Jesus stuff, right? Uh, if, if that's you, I want you to know you absolutely belong here at Kindred Church, even if it doesn't feel that way. But, but again, th- these things are hard, right? This is real. And there's not a lot of Christmas songs about any of that, it's, it, it's messy. It's messy. And I think sometimes we can internalize all of this stuff. And, and the Christmas season can leave us feeling like we're a mess, right? But we, we start thinking to ourselves, you know, why can't I get myself organized? Why am I always running behind? What, what's wrong with me? Why did I spend so much money this Christmas season? How am I going to pay for all of this? Maybe we ask ourselves, why can't I afford the kind of Christmas that everybody else seems to be able to enjoy? What's wrong with me? Why doesn't my family look the way I want it to? Why can't I just believe that this God and Jesus stuff that everybody else seems to believe? What's, what's wrong with me? Uh, those of you that have been with us in recent weeks, you remember that we've been doing this sermon series based on the story of a Christmas carol by Charles Dickens, the story about Ebenezer Scrooge. And you'll remember that when we first meet Ebenezer Scrooge at the beginning of that story, he's this angry, grumpy old man, right? He, he hates Christmas. And it kind of leaves us with the question of, why does he hate Christmas so much? Why is he such an angry, grumpy, stingy man? And, and what we come to discover over the course of the story is that part of why he hates Christmas is because Christmas leaves him feeling like a mess, You know, he doesn't exactly put it in those terms, but as we get to know his character better, we we see that Christmas is a reminder to him of his loneliness. It's a reminder to him of the ways that his life has not turned out the way he wanted it to when he was younger. As as we meet the ghost of Christmas past and and that whole portion of the story, we we see these painful experiences of, of rejection from his childhood where he had this strained relationship with his father and how he was rejected by his fiancée when he was a, a young man. She ended up leaving him. And, and all of this, this pain, uh, it shapes his outlook of the present. It shapes his outlook of the future. I think part of the reason that this is such a, a beloved story in our culture is because even though we're not as angry as Scrooge, most of us wouldn't say that we hate Christmas on that level, but, but nevertheless, we, we can identify with Scrooge at least a little bit. Because Christmas can sometimes leave us feeling like a mess. Now, as I say all of that, there may be some of you that don't relate to that. You may have it all together. 
You may be all ready for Christmas. Maybe your family life is good and your financial life is good and your relationship with God is, is good. If all of that is you, congratulations. We've got some coloring sheets out there. You can feel free to grab one of those and doodle. You're not gonna need the rest of this sermon. But for the rest of us, for the rest of us, if your life is messier than you want it to be right now, if you're feeling, like for whatever reason, if you're feeling like a mess sitting here this morning, here's what I want to remind you. Christmas, when we strip away all of the traditions, when we strip away all of the, the cultural expectations, Christmas is, of course, the celebration of Jesus' birth, right? Right? And again, if your life is messier than you want it to be right now, I want to remind you that the birth of Jesus is especially good news for you. And it's especially good news for me because when Jesus was born, that happened. God came into the world. That happened right in the middle of a gigantic, gigantic mess. Sometimes we forget this. You know, because the, the way that we portray the Christmas story kind of makes it seem like everything went according to plan, right? Like, doesn't every woman want to deliver a baby in a petting zoo? I mean, this is, it's fine. Everything's fine. No, it's not fine. It was a gigantic mess. Let me remind you of just a few of the ways. The story begins with this young woman named Mary, right? And she is engaged, but she's not yet married. And she discovers that she's pregnant, and she knows that her fiancé is not the father. And her fiancé knows that he is not the father. Now, an angel comes to them and explains this unique situation. This is son of God, not a normal human conception, right? But as far as we know, the angel didn't go to everybody else in town and explain this unique situation. And so we can imagine the, the kind of judgment, the kind of shame that Mary would have faced around town. We can imagine the kind of judgment and shame that Joseph would have faced around town for staying with Mary after she had apparently been very unfaithful to him. The story's barely gotten started. Already, we got a mess on our hands. Well, fast forward nine months, and Mary is, at this point, nine months pregnant. And in full disclosure, I've personally never been nine months pregnant, but I've talked to some people who have, and what I gather is that when you're nine months pregnant, one thing that you don't want to do is to go on a 70-mile hike. But that's what Mary has to do. Why does she have to do that? Well, some Roman soldiers make her and Joseph travel from their home in Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem. And why do they have to do that? Well, the Romans need to register Joseph. They need to register him so that they can raise his taxes. We, we, we know that Joseph was already very poor, and thanks to these Romans, Joseph is about to become even more poor. So if, if you've ever experienced anxiety about your finances, you can understand something of what Mary and Joseph would have been feeling in this situation. Well, they make it to Bethlehem, and wouldn't you know it, right as they arrive in town, Mary starts having contractions. And she can tell these are not like the Braxton Hicks, like they're, they're strong, they're getting stronger, they're getting more regular. So she turns to Joseph, and she says, honey, let's, let's stick to the birth plan. Uh, find me a filthy barn covered in manure and salmonella. Uh, no, of course she didn't say that, right? Of course not. Uh, scholars think that plan A for them was probably that they were going to go and stay with some of Joseph's extended family who would have lived in Bethlehem, his grandparents or cousins or something like that. But I guess there was some family drama. I guess there was some family conflict 
because when they showed up to their extended family, that the family didn't make any room for them, despite the fact that Mary was in active labor. I mean, if you have ever experienced tension or conflict in your family, maybe you can understand something of, of what that must have felt like. Well, Mary and Joseph go around trying to find a, a place, and we don't know exactly how or, or why, but, but somehow they end up in this barn, this stable among the animals. And that's where Mary ends up delivering her baby on a, a pile of dirty hay, we can imagine, surrounded by livestock and, and cow pies. It, it's a mess, right? And actually, after the, the baby is born, it's still a mess, because not long after the baby arrives, Mary gets some visitors, um, and in my experience, when people have just had a baby, they don't usually want visitors, at least not right away. I, um, as the pastor, you know, when people in the congregation have a baby, a lot of times I will reach out and I will offer to come by the hospital and to, to pray with them. And most of the time what they tell me is, no, they're nice about it, but, but they say, uh, please stay away. It's not a good time. Thank you for the prayers, but pray from a distance. And, and I get it. Uh, I remember when my son was born, our, our oldest about an hour after he was born, like 60 minutes, my, my boss at the time, uh, not my current boss who's, who's here now, my boss at the time, uh, he, uh, he, he, 60 minutes after my son was born, he, he decided this would be a good time to pop in for a little visit. And he, he came unannounced. He just knocked on the door and walked in the room. And the timing was not ideal. It was chaos. The baby was screaming. Multiple people in the room were not fully clothed. I will not say who, but, but it wasn't good. It wasn't good. Well, Mary, even though she's trying to rest after having just delivered a baby in, in the midst of these terrible circumstances, she, she gets some visitors. And, and who is it? Is it some close friends bringing a care package? No. Is it some family members coming to check on her? No. It's a group of strangers, people she's never met, these loud, smelly shepherds that show up and they're all excited in the middle of the night to see this baby. I could keep going, but you, you see my point. That first Christmas we forget. That first Christmas, what was a gigantic, gigantic mess. And yet, and yet what happened in the middle of that mess? What happened? God came into this world. God came to be with us. Isn't that amazing? Of all the ways that God could have come, of all the places, the times, God came like that. And what does that mean for you? And what does that mean for me? It means that we have a God who meets us in the middle of the mess. Let me say that again. We have a God who meets us in the middle of the mess. You know, sometimes we assume that if there's a mess in my life, or if I'm a mess, God must not be here, right? Because if God was here, I wouldn't have these family problems. I wouldn't have these money problems. I wouldn't be stressed about this. I wouldn't be worried about that. I'd be more organized. I'd be this, that, and the other, right? And maybe some of you have been told that, Hey, if you want God to be with you, if you want God to love you and embrace you and favor you, then, then first you need to clean yourself up. You, you need to clean up that mess, and then God will be with you. But what the Christmas story shows us is no, 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 no. No, see, see God is not put off by your mess. God is not waiting for you to clean up your mess. God meets us in the middle of the mess. Uh, one of the reasons that we know this is true is because of what happens when that baby grows up. When little baby Jesus becomes grown-up Jesus, and he begins what we call his public ministry, he goes around, and, and what does he do? His entire ministry, he just shows up and meets people in the middle of their mess, 
right? Jesus goes and he, he spends time with people whose financial life was a mess. He spends time with people whose spiritual life was a mess, whose physical health was a mess. He spends time with people who assumed that God wasn't there with them because they were such a mess. In fact, about the only group of people that Jesus didn't seem to enjoy spending time with was the self-righteous people who were busy pretending like they didn't have a mess. And then what happens in the end, Jesus goes to the cross and he lays down his life and then he rises again and he defeats sin and evil and, and death. And why does Jesus do that? Why does he do that? It's because Jesus is so head over heels in love with messy people like you and messy people like me. Jesus doesn't just want to be with us here in this life. Jesus wants to continue to be with us for all of eternity, we have a God who meets us in the middle of the mess. And so I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what kind of mess you might be facing in your life right now. But here's what I do know. The, the good news of Christmas is that you are not alone in it. You're not alone in it because the God of the universe is right here with you. The, the God who created you, the God who invented you, the God who puts you in this world right here and right now for a purpose is with you. The God who has promised you a good future, the God who already knows every detail of that future, God is right here with you and that will never, ever change. Uh, to, to jump back to the, the story of Scrooge for, for just a moment, you know, at the, at the end of the story, and we've, we've traveled with Scrooge by this point, and, and we've seen him. Again, he, he begins as this grumpy old man who hates Christmas, and he has these encounters with the various ghosts, and, and his heart has changed, and he undergoes this conversion. And by the end of the story, we're told that he's learned how to, to keep Christmas well. Isn't that a great phrase? He learns how to keep Christmas well. And so a, a question I would put to you is, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us to keep Christmas well? I think maybe one thing it means is that we remember that life is messy, it's unavoidable, and this time of year is especially messy for so many of us. We may not get to experience that silver bells kind of Christmas that we sing about, but what we do get to experience is the presence of God. And because of that, even in the middle of our mess, we can find peace, and we can find hope, and we can even find joy because we are not alone and God will see us through. Let me pray for us. Oh, gracious God, as we come before you this morning, we're so thankful to you that we can bring our whole selves to you. God, we're, we're thankful that you already know the, the good, the bad, and the ugly in our lives, and you don't wait for us to clean ourselves up. You don't wait for us to get it together, but you come and meet us right where we are. Lord, we're so thankful for that. Um, God, we pray that you would open us up to receive that message today, that there are so many of us who are overwhelmed and, and burdened and emotional for all different reasons, God, and we need peace, and we need hope, and we need joy in our lives. So make, make yourself known to us today as we celebrate once again your arrival into this world right in the middle of the mess. Amen.